dismay at the yeah, sure, sure, sure. It was, it's it's for a purpose. So, um, where he's discussing the idea of, uh, you know, when Hashem saw the world and it was corrupt and it pained him, and it's, it's all this very anthropomorphic language that's being used. The philosophers will run a mile from that because, well, it's not a dude, and stop talking about him like he's a dude. Yes, the car is doing that, but that has to be understood. The way Rafesh relates to this, he says, regarding similar anthropomorphic expressions of God, we would like to make a general note. For so long, people have philosophized about these expressions to remove the danger of the slightest thought of any physical or corporeality to God. That's what they're doing. They're trying to distance this corporeality from Hashem. That at the end, one runs very nearly into the danger of losing all idea of the personality of God. Meaning, you lose God as being an other. When we relate to Hashem, we relate to Hashem as being, whether you like it or not, it's a personality. You give it a, 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 a otherness. It's not like Jesus, but it's a another. When you call out to Hashem, you're calling out to something. I don't call out to gravity. That would be weird. Gravity doesn't care about me, but I think Hashem does care about me. That's why when I call out, I can only call out if I think someone's listening. But if you focus so much on drawing yourself away from any form of anthropomorphism, which on the one side is a truth to it, you lose the possibility of actually having a relationship with God. And the personality of God is what holds you to Judaism. I don't follow Judaism because of gravity. I don't follow Judaism because of the first course. I follow Judaism because there is something that, the, there is something that is calling me. And, and he continues. Had this been the purpose of the Torah, these kinds of expressions could easily have been avoided. But this last danger, philosophy, I mean, it's a danger, is greater than the first literal reading, meaning it is far more dangerous to have the philosophy than to walk away with literal reading. Rambam is like going nuts right now. He's like literally turning over in his grave. That is absolutely not my more idea. He's like, no, the worst danger is but not that Rav Hirsch is disagreeing on content, he's just agreeing on stress. Rather than stressing on everyone's compromising monotheism to a certain extent, Rambam thinks that God gave the Torah. Aristotle has this pure sense of monotheism, which is God just exists in, 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 in bizarre divine isolation. God doesn't know your name. For the Rambam, Rambam the Hashem gives, there's prophecy, there's involvement, but he draws us away from literal readings on the side of philosophy. But Hirsch is like, no, the danger is worse in that direction. Because if I philosophize too much, I lose God in the process. So the, the, he, actually, he not only gives you a philosophical concept, he says these two anthropomorphic expressions here save two essential components. The fact that Hashem saw the world and regretted it, how bad people have got. It's not just giving you the personality of Hashem. It's the Torah emphasizing these two most important fundamental values. Of the Torah. Just to finish the two values, what are the two values that these psukim are giving over? One, the free will of God. That Hashem's free. If Hashem wasn't free and mankind had no choice but to become all corrupt, sorry, if Hashem didn't, if Hashem was forcing the situation or the free will of man, man didn't have to sin. It was almost a surprise to God. What exactly we mean by a surprise to God? Obviously, we can we can go to the ends of the earth to discuss. But the Torah is giving over us to us these two values through anthropomorphic language for the fact that the free will of God and the free will of man. Not for nothing does it say, and Hashem saw the great evil in the world. Wickedness of man was not a matter of necessity. Man didn't have to be 
or perhaps an evil. He had to see it before he knew it. This expression gives us the guarantee of human free will and the fate that overtook mankind was not a result of physical causes which follow set law. It was a proceeding and by the examination of his decision, the decision itself painted, pained the decider, meaning the fact that Hashem had to destroy the world and turn everything to ruin, pained him. Now, what do we mean by God was in pain? I don't know what that means, but for some reason, Hashem is communicating that to me, in which case I draw a relationship with Hashem, recognizing Hashem was pained by the fact that he had to destroy, start over. All these um, free will of God, free, the, uh, free will of man, clear in our mind. Anyway. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that the, the reason why I'm emphasizing this balancing that Hirsch does is for that very reason. Refresh, that, that whole description there is a description of a personality at the end of what we mean by Hashem. Personality is the right word here. Personalities care. Uh, forces of nature don't care. That aspect of personality makes God part of your life. But when you call out to Hashem, there's someone you're calling out to. The Rambam, not that the Rambam would necessarily, he wouldn't disagree or agree, but his way of painting things often makes people feel colder. So, uh, yeah. That's why people who invest themselves in the thoughts of Maimonides can often wake up. I had a, one of my students who basically became a quasi-atheist because he, he just lost the God. Lost the God. Lost his conception of God because he had a daddy in the sky that loved him. And then he heard argumentation that showed him that doesn't really hold philosophical weight. It doesn't make sense. Ah, but then the other views will say, okay, fine. So it doesn't make sense. I don't have to make sense of the divine. A, a way of perhaps balancing the two views is when you interact with something, you interact with it on different levels of analysis. Uh, you can use the metaphor of a computer. You can use the metaphor of a conversation with someone. When I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to yourselves. Are you made up of cells? Absolutely. Is it true that you're made up of cells? Absolutely. You're made up of cells, you're made up of neurons, but I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to the personality, the emergent property that is you. In a similar way, when you interact with a computer, you interact with a computer with screens, windows. There are no windows, but there are windows. And if you interact with a computer on the level of bits and bytes and uh, code, you're not going to get very far. You have to interact with things on different levels. And perhaps Rob Hirsch would say, they all have a truth for them. There's no one all-encompassing truth. And even from Rambam's point of view, he's not going to be able to say he has the all-encompassing truth. He's just pushing in one direction. Good? Yeah. Um, is there a so I'm not sure, but are different, maybe this helps to answer, they're different personalities. Certain personalities walk with God. They experience God the whole time. They, they're in constant dialogue with God. That God is so much part of their lives. And there are other people who their work or their avoider is making God part of their life at all. It's a personality thing as well. 
for me, I'm very much drawing Hashem into my life is very difficult. For Rivka, it's, it's an obviousness. No, 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 there's, no, there's no which one's right. It's the way we're made, which is just different types of people, different strokes for different folks. But and, isn't the first divine will? Hmm? Like, the first, like uh, living with God and like bringing God down into your life all the time. That's like the ideal. Not necessarily, because it can also have negative ramifications. If God is your best buddy and loves you to bits, you might take liberties. Too much love of God and not enough distance from God, you lose the duty, you lose the obligation, you lose the, no, you don't get to do this. Balance between love and fear. You could put it like that. Isn't that the whole point of Yura, that it's like always on your mind? So, 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 it's the way, way it's phrased is Shavisi Hashem Hashem is placed before me always. That is to have Hashem as being part of your life. But that intimate love that people develop can have a good side and can have a bad side. And the goal of the person who dances with God is, is to remember that there's there's also a another side of things. There's that distance as well. So that, that's why I'm putting it as personality types. Yeah. I have a question. I don't know if it makes sense. What would be, let's say for me right now, hearing this, what would be like a healthy way to transfer that viewpoint? Because if I hear what you're saying, but if I'm just like, oh, to me, this almost sounds like some isn't involved in my life and that's like scary to think that. How, how do you incorporate some of this? Um, well, first of all, it, the extreme of Hashem being part of your life is that Hashem is basically a, an invisible spirit who like hangs around you. What you could take from this more Maimonidean approach is that you don't make God physical. How do you make God not physical? Is that when you relate to Hashem, you relate to him in the level of as, 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 as personality, not, a, not saying that you put a physical image to God, but try not to do that. That would be something that, from the Maimonidean point of view, would be important. But obviously, you don't sacrifice your dialogue with Hashem, the intimacy you've developed with Hashem, because, as, as we've mentioned, most of the Jewish tradition doesn't necessarily sit on the side of Maimonides. But there's always a value to be taken. As I said, people who dive completely, they call themselves Maimonideans. They're a little bit strange at times. <laughs> it's, but it's, I, I don't take that view. Or I, why would I? But uh, there is an attractiveness to it. But I don't take that view. I take a more balanced view, hopefully. But the people who dive completely into that view get strange because they disregard anything that isn't exactly this and look at anything else that isn't exactly this as being like idolatry and whatever. What so, oh, that's a long conversation. You can find them online. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I don't want to leave you hanging, but does it make sense that obviously that there, the, the beauty about Judaism is that there are many approaches. Uh, so you're saying, how does it work? So wait, wait, wait. The, the way I just described the different levels of interacting with someone, they're all true. You are still cells. You could be a lovely person, but you're still cells that make up the constitute your being but you're also a personality. Which one is true? Both true. So when I talk about Hashem, I talk to Hashem. Do I think Hashem talks back to me? No. Do I think Hashem has a brain? No. But I still relate to Hashem as if he does, because I can't help it. And more than that, Hashem wants me to. How do I know Hashem wants me to? From Hershey's standpoint. Because he wrote the Torah. He could have easily given me a book in abstract philosophy. He didn't. 
Rambam has his answer to that. But Hersh's answer to that is because Hashem wants us to relate to him as father and king. And just to draw us back into the Hershey-ian 19 letters, Hashem's first interaction with humanity was to give them responsibility. But first, man's first, man and woman's first failing, Hashem reveals himself as judge and father, the one that educates and the one that punishes. That, 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 that dynamic plays itself out in how we relate to Hashem, both those sides of the coin. Now, obviously, Rav Hershey is leaning more into this one, but that doesn't mean it's not, that they're both true. Just which one are you emphasizing? Make sense? Excellent. Okay. So we got up to. All right. So let's just dive, dive straight into it. We're now dealing with letter seven. Now, just to bring us back in, Rathersh has got these questions at the beginning, and he's developing a philosophy of Judaism. And he develops this philosophy of Judaism by showing that Judaism has a goal. This goal that Judaism is trying to give over to the world is to allow humanity to work towards these two primary principles that flow from what we mean by Hashem love and justice. And that is playing itself out from the very, very first point in creation. Genesis isn't just a lovely story about like people dancing in a garden. It is this story of these principles playing themselves out and humanity trying and humanity failing all the way to the point where Hashem disperses the world. We have the Tower of Babel. Hashem disperses the world and the world has one nation that comes into the sea. The world in general, this actually gives you a perspective that the Jewish people weren't an essential. Ideally, there wouldn't be a Jewish people. In an ideal world, the whole of humanity would have been able to keep to this ultimate goal. Remember, this allows us to appreciate the world from the way Rav Hirsch is describing it as there's a universal brotherhood that should come along with Judaism. You shouldn't be walking away from Judaism as an isolationist, xenophobic. You should be walking away from understanding and appreciating Judaism as being the best human being you can possibly be. You should draw your, you should feel yourself as having a responsibility to the world because on some level, you're all part of the same story. Yes, the Jewish people are chosen, but it isn't because you made any, you didn't do anything cool. You were chosen because Avram was chosen. That's where it all starts. Avram was chosen. Why was Avram chosen? Because he emphasized these two principles. The story of Avram in Genesis is Avram demonstrating out these principles. Avram welcomes the other into his home. He welcomes the guests into his home. He stands up the God against arguing for Sudai. You see these principles play themselves out. And that's the next stage of the story. Just a really spoiler alert. Next week, hopefully, we're going to show how the story of, Jude of, the, of, of history, from a Jewish standpoint, the Torah isn't a history book, but it is giving a truths that emerge from history from a Jewish standpoint and how those truths and how those goals lead to the building of the Jewish people and then how the Jewish people are expected to live out that mission through the Torah and how the Torah's commandments aren't just a bunch of isolated laws but they clearly play into the role of representing love and justice in the world and educating ourselves and the world towards those two principles that is the entirety of every mitzvah in the Torah will be leading towards those two principles and he categorizes every one of the mitzvahs within that lens. Love and justice and the education towards love and justice. That's what it means to be a Jew. It sounds, it sounds almost um, huma, uh, religious Jews, maybe. But Jews stop using the word of love in relationship to humanity, relationship to Hashem, because it sounds awfully Christian. But it, it, there's a truth to it. They got it from somewhere. The idea that Hashem loves us and loves humanity. And that word of love is going to be central 
Rav Hesh sees played itself out throughout human history up until the Jewish people. Go ahead, jump in. So we're going to get to that when we get to Avram. What do you mean? So it's, it's actually tricky because the first interaction we have with Avram is already he's on the he, he goes. So, all right, so let, let's jump into it. Let's, let's, let's get to number seven. From the beginning of the passage of Isaiah, which we discussed last week, you have comprehended the place which Israel should occupy in the series of developments of the nations had they not erred. Dear Benjamin, okay, fine. While mankind educated by experience was to learn, can the who else would like to read? Would you like to read? Would you like to read? Thank you. Yeah, my eyes are like scrambling on me. Vicissitudes. That's history so far. That's humanity failing. That's humanity failing. That's humanity drawing itself away from Hashem and obsessing about nature, obsessing about things. This is what we call polytheism, where they looked at nature as being gods. In which case, the whole story of creation, the whole story of reality, from this point of view, has messed up, and it's not happening. Yeah. The Jewish people are a necessary, not evil, it's the wrong word. The Jewish people are necessary because there is a goal. There is a purpose. And the reason why I'm focusing on this is because it's not said enough. When a person starts a new job, they think about what the goal of the job is. When people start any procedure in life, they talk about a goal. Judaism, does it have a goal? What, what, the way he's describing it is, yeah, there was a vision to history. You're part of what they call a meta-historical narrative. There's a larger story at play here. There's creation, and then there's a journey. That's where we get the, uh, the Bamidbar part. Um, so now this one nation, through its, way he phrases it, through its history and life, through its, using another term from another thinker, its fate and its destiny. Its destiny is the mark it needs to make in the world. The fate, the destiny, the word comes from leaving a mark. You have a destiny. You have a mark you want to leave. We as Jewish people have a mark we need to leave. That is the active part we play. When we're doing our job right, we are leaving a mark in the world and our fate. What's our fate that happens to us? That's when you're passive and when, when you're active. Our fate happens to us. And here's the really, the, I suppose the genius point here, is that even with our fate, we educate humanity. How with our fate, how with our history do we educate humanity? If the goal of the Jewish people is to draw humanity back to that original purpose, even by our fate, when we're not being active, we still shine a light to the nations. By leaving our mark, we can understand the way he says it. This mission required for its carrying out a nation, pour in every think 
upon which the rest of mankind reared the edifice of its greatness and its power, externally subordinate to the nations armed with, a pr with, pr with proud um, reliance on self, but fortified by direct reliance on God. When we say the Jewish people started and the need for the, Jew the, 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 need for the Jewish people, the Jewish people began through everything, the Jewish people have existed throughout history, lacking everything else that other nations needed for their survival. Next time I there's a whole bunch of quotes that are quite beautiful from thinkers throughout history, who just looked at the Jewish people and were like, wow. Everybody knows the Mark Twain quote, but I, I'm far didn't print it out. It's still inspiring to read it today. And it freaks you out. It says everyone else made their mark, made their noise. Everyone else did, but they're all gone. There is one nation that still holds on. And it isn't because we're powerful and it isn't because we have a lot of stuff. It's only because we have a relationship with God, because we have the Torah. Without that, the Jewish people wouldn't have survived. And that allows us as a people to be educational, even in our fate. Does that make sense? So the purpose of the Jewish people, so what's the purpose of the Jewish people? The purpose of the Jewish people is both by our fate and our destiny, we have a part to play in educating humanity. Despite its political uh, subordination, however, the people was to race, receive from the hands of God all the means of individual human and national prosperity in order that it might dedicate all its wealth and resources to the one purpose, fulfilling the divine will, that which universal mankind esteemed, not sure what that was supposed to say, and woe should also depend on the fulfillment of this will. That's the educational goal of the Jewish people. And thus, even the external doings and sufferings of this people should be a mean of direct inculcating a correct understanding of God and human duty, which mankind would otherwise have learned directly by experience. Meaning, history seems to play out a third card. Nations rise and nations fall. History will teach you it isn't all about power that will allow a nation to flourish. And that's the story of all nations throughout the world. They reach a peak and then they die. If you peruse history, naturally, you'll be taught that lesson. But the Jewish people do it directly. We hold on, and it, we don't hold on because of power. Our existence, is a our existence is a continuous thread throughout human history, and it isn't because of everything else every other nation obsesses on. So a person could stand back and read history and learn from history how you're supposed to act in the world and what you're supposed to build as a nation. Or in a more direct way, they can observe Jewish history. Yeah. That's dead right. But that's a passive existence. This is their passive role. We're not we haven't gotten to the active role, meaning you have your passive role of being person can say, what what's what what do the Jews do in the world? A person can answer and say, well, they're like a weird beacon by their existence. That it, it, you, it isn't about might, it isn't about power, it isn't about um, conquering that allows a nation to exist because we stood the test of time without all of these things. Okay, but what is the individual Jew doing actively to achieve this goal? That's where we get into the mitzvahs, but we're not quite there yet.
but you'll say the fact that they exist. Well, it's 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 it is coming from it from the other direction. You're saying by the fact that we've seen they've existed, they need it. Yeah, but that that's that that's not. Um, I mean, not sure how to factor that in. You could say. Yes, it makes but, sense, but it doesn't like. It doesn't give you anything new. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. I have to think about it. It's like more of an evolutionary argument. The fact that it survived showed that it had something that was needed, perhaps. I'm not sure. Interesting. Um, so just to finish off, it's, it's, it's the things near fish. One God, creator, lawgiver, judge, guide, preserver, and father of all beings. All beings, his servant, his children. Man, also his child and servant. From his hand, all and this all to be used only for the fulfillment of his will. Since this alone is sufficient for a proper attainment of the purposes of life. While all other human occupations and pursuits are paths which lead to the goal and the fulfillment of the mission of humanity. The pursuit of the great truth. Is, yeah, we do have a second. So, there's two things to take into account. The Jewish people are coming to the sea. But remember, he's not looking at the Jewish people as being, uh, uh, it, it, it feeds into the whole question on Jewish chosenness, which people find slightly uncomfortable. Why? Because I'm chosen. Does that mean other people are not chosen? Refesh is very much taking the approach that no, there is a humanity. And humanity has a purpose, and there is a purpose of existence. And the Jewish people come to the scene to allow that purpose to be accelerated. It would happen through history, perhaps, but that, that purpose seems to only be able to come to its fruition. I suppose I, 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 whether it would, uh, the way he seems to be describing it here is that it could happen on its own. Eventually, humanity would come about to this knowledge, but the Jewish people are there to encourage or to be a beacon to that ultimate goal. Make sense? But it feels like it's not, it wouldn't just be for acceleration. It would be like necessity. So that's, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure because he does say here that. Um, Otherwise, why would God? Uh, including correct understanding of the human duty, which mankind would otherwise have learned indirectly by experience. But I would perhaps you could say the passive role the Jewish people take in terms of their history, you could probably learn that on your own. But the active role the Jewish people take, you could say, is a necessity. And that's where you have the, in, the, the, the addition of the Torah. And um, the, just to step outside of it for a second, this whole description is only taking the whole story of the Torah as if. So I, I, I told you there was a, a, a place I went through a job where the light switches weren't working and it suddenly started working and the, the, the client was convinced it was Shaden. Shaden. No, no, no. So I told him, so I told him, so I fixed it. And I said, if it ever stops working, it's a Shaden. If it continues working, it's me. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, the, 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 I don't think that's what that, what that was. But anyway, um, so just to, to, to finish it off, it must need. Can you continue, please? I, I, at a certain point, it starts to get scrambled. Go, go, yep. Feelings, words, and deeds, which no doubt ever can speak for him, and which with all its power lives for him in the world. 
So just to focus on that, what the Jewish people mean by God is central here. So just moving out back to our Maimonidean shtick, when a person says God, and this is one of the most important values I think you can take with you in the world in general, when you describe yourself as being a religious person, what you mean by God is going to be very central. Do you follow? God can be anything. God can be placeholder for power, in which case I wouldn't listen to it. I'd rebel. Because why? What I mean by Hashem is central to what motivates me to be a good person, to follow Hashem. If I think the very fabric of reality is evil, then I probably should oppose that. But if I think the fabric of reality of what I mean by Hashem and the purpose of humanity is along the line of, as you phrase it, Hashem, the Yud K, Bob K part of Hashem, is this ineffable Lord of love. That means it loves humanity. It wants the best for humanity. I think the Greeks call it agape. Uh, Greeks had different words for love. The three words, exactly. And that agape is the, 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 the best thing that you could describe of what you have for a child when it comes back like a little slug from the, from the, from the hospital. It doesn't smile at you, it just exists. And it's mushy, and it, but you love it beyond your ability to describe. And you want to give to it, and you want to, what's the word, to perpetuate its existence. That is the love that Hashem has for humanity and us. The Lord of love, as alone, Hashem, judge, recognize that all, and, 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 and that why, why do you have the Hashem Elohim here? It's also, it's, it's quite important. Hashem is the mercy, Elohim is the judge, but it's, which recognizes that when Hashem calls us and trains us, it's in the vision of UK Bokke. It's in the vision of love. It's that desire, that mercy, that, that whatever word you want to call it, for the bettering of us. So when we are going through difficulties, this is, by the way, another divergence from Maimonides. Maimonides doesn't believe there is any bias from uh, suffering because of love. You've heard the idea that you can have difficulties or, 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 or suffering for love through training? You know, like if, you, if someone's like training you? Like, no, 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 like a person's suffering and they're like, why, am I, why is this happening to me? And, uh, and people say, because Hashem's, tr there's, there's, there's some meaning for it. And whatever, I don't want to guess. So, so he, he, he doesn't like that worldview. He's like, uh, if, you, if, you, if it's going well, then it's uh, a reward. If it's going badly, it's punishment. Ah, Sadiq Viraloi. Ah, when Sadiqim suffer, how does that make sense? And he very much goes down the road. He's like, okay, I, I, then I just don't understand it. But don't specifically know that. There's a Gemara. There's a, there, so, isn't in this book. Ah, right. There is a Gemara that goes counter to his view. And he just doesn't, doesn't hold by it. At least in my understanding, in my understanding of my teachers. So that type of thing, exactly, exactly. The, the Ramba. Um, so the, the, the point that this is bringing over here is that, yeah, so anyway, so this, the reason why I bolded this is because it's an important point. We understand God as Yudke Vavke and Elohim, the judge, and the love, once again, those two principles constantly playing themselves out from the very beginning all the way to now. When we proclaim the name of God to the world, we're not proclaiming Kim Jong-un in the sky. We're proclaiming a God of love and justice. And even the justice is through the vision of love. We train ourselves to articulate Judaism like that. Judaism like that? That's bad English. If we train ourselves to articulate our worldview like that, that is something you can proudly take to people. You might not believe it's true. I don't care. Not you personally, you're speaking to someone. You might not believe this is true, but this is the way I look at the world. I don't look at the world as, a, as an expression of power. I don't look at the world as an expression of might makes right and uh, how does 
How does he put it? This is, this is a Greek fellow. I've forgotten his name. Vicitude? Ah, whatever. He says the 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 um the uh the the powerful do what they want and the weak do as they must. And that's a story of reality. But that, that's not the vision we're giving to the world. The vision that we're giving to the world is the vision that Rapesh is describing here. And that's what we mean by Hashem. And if we don't look at Hashem as that, and if you meet a fellow whose idea of Hashem is this weird, like, cosmic demon that basically wants to hurt people, then you just say, that's not Judaism, my friends. You may, you may be able to show me sources that God is really like, uh, often people send me, ask me, this rabbi said this, this rabbi said that. And the way they've articulated Judaism, it ends with an evil God demon, then I'm sorry, I would never accept that. And I wouldn't want to give that over to the world. Okay? <laughs> a new stone, which is laid upon, uh, could be built afresh, an edifice of humanity into which the knowledge of God and human duty might flee for refuge when rejected, uh, uh, um, disstoned by others. It should be like an example, a warning, a model, and an instruction. Such a mission imposed upon it another duty, a duty of separation of ethical separation, separate, ethical and spiritual isolation. What do we call that? An Am Kodesh. An Am Kodesh. We are separate. That separateness is expressed in our spiritual and our ethical behavior. We become a, uh, we, you're trying to become a holy people. You're, you're becoming a separate from the spiritual and ethical standpoint. It could not join the, in the doings of the other peoples in order that it might not sink to their level and perish in the abyss of the worship of wealth and pleasure. It must remain alone, aloof. It must do its work and live its life in separation until refined and purified by the teachings and example of universal humanity. Universal humanity might turn to God and acknowledge him as the only creator and ruler. That's what we call Mashiach. Back to our idea of an Azar that we discussed in Bamidbar. What draws the Jewish people together? A common goal. We could call that goal? No. We could call that common goal, if we want to use like stark language, being an Evid Hashem, serving the will of Hashem. Ah, we could break that down more and use less religiously loaded language and articulate and, and phrase it as the goal of articulating what we mean by Hashem to the world. But when the Shia comes, everyone will acknowledge the same God. What will that do to humanity? No, not Jewish necessarily, but will people stop fighting each other? Will the lamb sleep with the whole prophecy from Jeremiah that we discussed last week at the end? How does that come about? That comes about with a universal recognition of what we mean by Hashem. That attained Israel's mission will have been accomplished. On that day, the Lord, this is a quote from, uh, I think it's Yeshua, I'm not sure. On the day, on, the, this is, on that day, the Lord shall be one, his name one, from Zion will go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The Lord of Sinai came, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the, uh, uh, when, the when the prophets talk about these ideas, they're referencing what the is talking about at the end of days. The end of days isn't God with a sword in Revelations. The end of days is humanity coalescing around an idea, but the greatest idea. And your ability as a Jew to live that out in your life, you know, say, be, be a Kiddush Hashem, right? Break that down. It means act in a way that shows people that your life is predicated of this. And when I see that, I'm like, well, there's, there's something about that that I want to draw myself towards as well. 
This is once again articulating the goal of Judaism. And then in the next week, we talk about Avram and how Avram was the first Jew. Yep. Resurrection of the dead. No, not really. I mean, we can now. We we're finished. I mean, we finished number 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 seven. But the the, the uh, and next week we will finish the idea of the Jewish people, and then we will talk about Rav Hirsch's six categories of mitzvahs. We'll talk about Hiras, Hukim, Mishpatim, Mitzvahs, and Avaidah. Tyros are those philosophical principles you know. Love God, fear God. Those are the ideas in the mind, but their goal is to live themselves in action. Hukim and Mishpatim, Mitzvahs, Adas, all have their part to play, and every one of the commandments in the Torah fit into these. They are either living out justice or love, Mishpatim, living out justice, Chukim, living out justice, and Rapesh does not take the approach that if it's a hope, you don't understand it. If it's a hope, it's fundamental. And he gives them interpretations to what a hike is. That means when a person says to you, like, where do you build me? You have an answer. And it'll fit into a framework. And it'll fit in the framework of the ultimate goal. And it will place itself out. Now, let's talk about dead people coming alive. Thank you.